0: Good evening, everybody. Uh, Welcome back to Bible study. It has been a little while. Um, If you are watching this after the fact, we ask you just to be patient with us or jump ahead to the four or five minute mark, and then we'll be ready for Bible study. All right. Thank you. Good evening. I see we got one out there. Hopefully we'll get a few more. Oh, now now it's just me. Good evening. There's a few of you out there tonight. Let us know who's here. Uh, Please check in when you're here. And then we will always give it our four or five minutes. Who we got out there tonight? Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Bible Study. It has been probably a month or more, um, a long break, but hopefully everybody's ready to get back at it tonight. Uh, We are going to pick it up in Luke chapter 17. Hey, Joel, it is good. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's been a little too long, in fact. Um, Probably a little rusty tonight, I would guess. But it looks like folks are starting to find us. Um, check in once you hear everybody. Let us know who's out there. Again, if you're watching this uh, after the fact, uh, just be patient. We're going to wait a couple of minutes here to let everybody find us. So Joel is here. I see we've got another five or six out there. Um, we'll give it our usual... Maybe till three or four after here. Beautiful night out there, too. That maybe uh, makes this a little harder to, for people to attend. Ron and Joan, good evening. Hello. Yeah, what a gorgeous day. It's been really good the last, last couple days for sure. As you wait or while we wait, uh, if you want to open up your Bibles to Luke 17, hopefully got worksheets handy. Uh, somebody's gonna have to tell me where where we left off as far as sending you worksheets. Um, what do you have or what do you not have? Um, hi, Melissa. Glad to see you as well. Joe and Marlene, good evening and welcome. Um, as I just said, Luke 17 and 18 tonight. So get your Bibles ready to go and worksheets and we'll uh, we'll give it a little bit. Okay, so Ron and John are saying that they do have through Luke 24. Okay, good. Um, we can certainly resend if we need to. Um, I just wanted to check. It's been long enough where I didn't remember what I had sent out or, or not sent out. Okay, looks like Joe and Marlene too. Good. Look at that. Jane and Jean and Glenn are online. Good evening, all three of you. Glad you're with us tonight. Good, uh, good to be back in front of you here on a Tuesday night for Bible study. Hope everybody enjoyed the break, Enjoyed is enjoying their summer. Um, but glad to be back with you here tonight. We're going to give it two more minutes, and then we're going to start. Uh, Two more minutes, and then we're going to start. And I'll say for the first night, after a long break here, looks like we got a a good good turnout. Hi, Marge. Good evening. Glad to see you tonight, too. Glad you're here. I know a few of our normal attenders are, are gone this week, so... Probably have a few less than normal, but that's all right. Certainly, they can watch it back later on. All right, let's let's maybe get going here. Um, hey, Joanne, good evening. Glad you found us here. I was just about to to start us off with a prayer. Let's do that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for being with us here through the summer, giving us a little bit of some rest, some wonderful weather. Uh, We thank you for the chance to come back tonight to finish off our study of Luke. Bless us as we dig into your word. Help us to grow in our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody. So tonight we have two chapters from Luke. And... um, I think, as we had noted in the past, Luke has so much more in each chapter than maybe, uh, maybe Mark does, for example. So, I'm only getting through a couple of chapters a week, and there's just so much stuff here. Um, all right, so chapter 17, uh, Jesus really starts off with some, some pretty strong words, um, and, and he speaks them to his disciples. A lot of times, the strong words are for the the enemies of the church, for the unbelievers. But here he speaks real strongly to his own. Um, hi, Linda. Uh, perfect timing. So first question tonight, if you look at the first three verses here of Luke chapter 17, how does Jesus impress on us the seriousness of causing sin? And Phil is camping tonight, so he uh, isn't here to type out or post the questions for us. So you're just going to have to rely on hearing them from me. Um How does Jesus impress on us the seriousness of causing sin? I suppose I could type them too. But let's, anybody got a thought to that one? Verses one, two, and three. Jesus talking to his disciples. um, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come. But Jesus says, don't be the one through whom they come, right? Woe to you. so Melissa says, be better to be drowned in the sea. And how, Melissa, would they be drowned in the sea? Not just accidentally, right? A millstone tied around the neck and then tossed overboard, right? Um, so so Jesus says a violent and painful death is better than causing someone to fall away. Just think about that for a little bit. Um How does that maybe affect the way that you think about your relationships uh, with your kids, your nieces, your nephews, your grandkids, um, the young people in your life? How do Jesus' words here uh, impact the way you think about those relationships? Yeah, Jane, it's... uh, Pretty drastic, isn't it? It is, and as Linda says there, it's a warning. Uh, Let's not do it, right? Let's not be the reason. Let's not mislead others or lead them astray. Um, And number three, or verse three, he says, so watch yourselves. Um, So many people are looking to you, to us, um, for how we live our lives, our conduct, our example, how we conduct ourselves as God's people um very strong warning anybody else anybody have a thought there on how these words impact your relationship with those maybe younger people uh, in your life and it doesn't necessarily have to be young people either right it can be um finally anybody new to the faith or struggling in the faith uh, it's not like young people are the only ones we can lead into sin. Anybody else have a thought before we move forward? All right, so if you go, um, so looking in at verses 4 through 5, why do you think the disciples, um, Jane says, do you have an example uh, so I, so of of leading people to sin, um, sure I, I think there can be a lot of things. Um, if I'm not watching the way I use the Lord's name, and that rubs off on somebody, if I am um, choosing entertainment that is leading people into sin um, and people watch that and follow that example. Um, The way I talk to my spouse, the way that I talk about um, maybe my employer, the way I choose to go to church or not go to church, right? All of that stuff rubs off on the next generation. All that stuff sets an example. Um, Maybe if I am Uh, getting my haircut. Well, I'm not getting my haircut. Maybe you're getting your haircut and uh, the hairdresser is unchurched. And though you talk about things in a way that maybe instead of leading them to Christ, perhaps maybe you're leading them the opposite direction. Does that help, uh, Jane? I think it's um, so much of it is just the way that we conduct ourselves, the example we set. Um, Are we putting temptations in front of people or not? I don't know if those are great examples, but um, anybody else can feel free to chime in there. Anybody else can feel free to add. All right, as the chapter goes on, verse. Uh, uh, Marlene, yeah, that's another good one, right? Not saying something, you know, so if, if they're doing something that is wrong and you don't correct them, that's another good example, right? Not calling them out on it, and I think so often, especially as our kids get older, we say, oh, it's not our place, right? We think it's not our business. Um, I think that's a good example too. All right, another number two, why do you think the disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith? Notice what happened right before this. So looking at verse five, they say, Lord, increase our faith. Why do they say that? What had just happened? What leads to that? And I think this is something you and I probably struggle with too. What? uh, So, Melissa says the things that Jesus is saying are hard, they're scary, they seem impossible. And notice, yeah, so what we just talked about um, can be kind of scary. And then, then he talks about forgiving on and on, constantly forgiving. Um, yeah, Marge, so they can forgive those that sin against him. And it's not just once. Seven times seven, right? It just, he's saying, keep on forgiving. That's hard, right? That's hard to do, especially if it's the same person, especially if they're sinning against us in the same way. Um, that can get really, really difficult. I mm-hmm. mean, um, so they say, Lord, increase our faith. We we can't do this on our own. Um, and so Ron and Joan... And say, make us more like Jesus, more loving and more forgiving, right? We need his help to do that. Um, These things he's asking of us are beyond us, right? We need his help. Uh, Anybody else have a thought on that one? So Jesus, yeah, he's asking difficult things here. Um, But if we put our trust in him, he strengthens us. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the ability to do these things that he's asking Right, He's doing more teaching here uh, to his disciples. Again, first 10 verses yet. Um, Verse 10, he says we should think of ourselves as unworthy servants. Why do you think Jesus tells us to think of ourselves as unworthy servants? He says... So also when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Why does he say that? Ron and Joan say we deserve nothing. Everything good that we receive is through grace. Yeah, it, um, so there's some humility there, right? To admit that we don't deserve anything. All this good stuff comes from him. Good. Uh, keep going. I think there's more here. Um, ah, so there's humility there, Melissa says, right? It's, um, this helps us avoid the sin of pride. I think you're both saying that in, in a way. Um, this isn't about us, right? And who we are and what we've done. Jane says we're sinners. We need to remember that, Um And it's not like we're earning anything, right? We're not earning anything by our behavior. Um, Our lives of faith are moved by and gifts of God uh, through the Holy Spirit. And finally, too, if we think of ourselves in that way, we can't possibly be disappointed when we get to heaven, right? If we think of ourselves in these terms uh, as unworthy servants, we can't possibly feel like, we're entitled or that we've earned anything. All right, anybody else? Anybody else? First 10 verses. Anybody else have a thought there? Next section talks about the, the 10 lepers. Um, anybody know what what day of the church year we get that lesson? It's I think it's every year. Uh, this lesson pops up in the order of readings, or at least prior to the new hymnal. I haven't checked it uh, for the new hymnal. Um, what day of the year do we always see uh, Luke chapter 17 starting at verse 11? Anybody know? Anybody know? Well, I ask that, I'm just going to adjust my screen here. Anybody know what day of the year do we always find that reading. Marlene and Joe say, we shouldn't look for praise for doing what we're supposed to do. Yeah, um, you're right. Um, why get credit for things that we're supposed to do anyway? Um, so the, the day that we normally find this reading would be Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving service. Uh, we often find the 10 lepers there. Um, Linda says, "Be grateful for God's mercy." Joanne, just sorry, Joanne. Joanne just said it. Thanksgiving, absolutely. Um, so you've probably heard several sermons, I would guess, on the the ten lepers, um, and certainly compare ourselves to the to the other nine. Um, so, question four: What set the Samaritan apart from the other nine who were healed? And I think there's two ways that he set himself apart. Um, can you, can you think of them or name them? What two ways did the Samaritan set himself apart? Or how was he set apart from the other nine? There we go. I'm putting the Bible up on the screen here so I don't have to keep looking down. Okay, I see a couple of answers coming in, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bit of a stickler on, on this one. Um can we say the other nine weren't thankful? Um Jane says his thanking and praising God. Ron and Joan say he was thankful. Um a couple of you say it. Melissa and Joan says it too here, Ron and Joan. He came back to give thanks, right? I, I don't think we can say the other nine necessarily weren't thankful, but they didn't necessarily take the time to convey that to their savior, right? To, to tell God they were thankful. Um, so that sets him apart. His he is clearly and truly thankful and shows it. Um, and then he's the foreigner, right? He's for the foreigner. Um, the others ought to know better, right? And I, I think there is where um, you know, if I were to preach on that one, I don't want to talk about that a little bit. Um, the one often the ones who ought to know better are are not necessarily the most thankful, and I would assume that applies to you and me too. Um, would well, how would you apply that to yourself? Just that thought of. We ought to know better, but we're not always so thankful. What what prevents that? What prevents you and I from, from going back to be thankful? Uh, Linda, absolutely. I'm sure there's excitement there. Um, and in fact, that's probably one of the things that keeps us from being thankful too, right? We're so excited to go on to whatever the thing is that we forget to stop and tell God, thank you. So I'm, I'm sure that is part of it. Um, but Jesus does commend the guy for coming back. And again, he calls him out as a foreign, points out that he's a foreigner. Um, so to me, part of the application there is that even the, the ones who know better tend to struggle with being thankful. And um, I would venture to say, too, as Americans, it's maybe a little bit tougher to be thankful sometimes than, than maybe others. Um, anybody have a thought on that? Everybody have a and in, Um, I see Melissa maybe just echoed what I just said there. Sometimes we're so blessed we forget to notice the blessings. Uh, We live in so much abundance compared to earlier times. Um, Yeah, I I think, Ron and Joan, I would agree with you. There's some entitlement in our society for sure. Um, And we think we've earned it or deserve it and and maybe not so willing to, to recognize the gift or the giver. Um, all good thoughts that would fit well in a sermon here on those lessons. Um, anybody else? Anybody else? So so finally, maybe one of the takeaways for us, I, I don't doubt that you're thankful. Are you expressing it or not? Are you telling Jesus that or not? Um, so good reminder for us to, I, you know, if you look at your own prayer life, and you're going to count it up you know what percentage of it is thanksgiving what percentage percentage of it is asking um i think in my life over the years thanksgiving perhaps has been a smaller percentage than than it ought to be but um something to think about for your own life of faith um and uh, linda he's always Jesus always taught that right he always welcomed uh, so many times in, in scripture he welcomed what would be the quote-unquote outsider. Uh, he, he's clearly for all, Gentiles included. Good, That's a good observation there. All right, number five. What question did the Pharisees ask Jesus? Um, and how does he try to redirect them? And I, I like that illustration there from the Myers. Um, so I used to say sometimes we treat prayer like a vending machine. I like yours better because I think the vending machines are kind of going out. Um, Yeah, you log on to Amazon, click a button, it shows up at your door, right? We think that prayer sometimes has to be that way. Uh, We pull the drop-down menu, say, oh, God, this is what I want. And then we just expect it to show up. Um, And we take it for granted, right? And we don't always take the time to say thank you. So, yeah, I like that illustration. I may use that at some point. Um, So, number five, what question did the Pharisees ask Jesus? And how does Jesus try to redirect their thinking? And remember here what they thought the kingdom was going to be like, right? They did not think, uh, they're not thinking spiritual kingdom. They're thinking earthly kingdom. So who's got a thought there on number five? Joanne says, we have so many blessings. We fail to remember and be thankful for everything. I, yeah, and how could you do that, right? I think, um, I think in the past I've talked about, uh, there's a book, 364 Days of Thanksgiving, and what it asks you to do every day of the year is to write something you're thankful for, but you can't repeat something that you've said in the year already. Um, and it's actually, you could probably do that a couple years and still keep coming up with new things. All right, so Jane says uh, correctly that the kingdom of God is not a tangible place; um, it's it's in us, right? And um, and they, of course, are expecting this this powerful earthly kingdom. Jesus is saying it's it's not a physical kingdom; it's not a tangible place, as Jane says. It's already here. It's through faith in Him. It's through the Holy Spirit. Um, so Melissa says he's trying to emphasize, here it is. Suddenly it's right here. Don't miss it, right? Grab onto it. Um, and unfortunately, as he goes, um, he points out that many, many people just aren't ever going to be aware of it, notice it, or grasp it. Um, all right, any so let's look at number six then. As you continue those verses there. So Jesus, in verse 26 and 27, he compares to the days of Noah um, and Lot. What do Noah and Lot have in common? And what comfort and encouragement does this give us as we go about our work? So what does, or what do Noah and Lot have in common? I mean, why is Jesus referencing both of them here? How do they both fit this this illustration, this lesson from Jesus. So Marge says they both have faith. Yes. And especially in a day and at a time surrounded by people who didn't have that, right? So they were... They had faith and were surrounded by people who did not. Um, Jane says they were saved as everything around them was destroyed. Um, Melissa, yep, uh, they both lived in times where people weren't concerned about the Lord. Um, and And then the Myers, too, say the life around them continued as normal until the disaster came. So they are these believers surrounded by people who are not. Surrounded by people who don't care and aren't paying attention, Um, but also too, they both—they both witnessed to the truth, right? They both told people. Noah is called a preacher of righteousness, right? Um, They both were examples of faith, uh, talking about what was coming. They both, in a sense, at the time, were the only hope, right? Noah, he had the only message of salvation. Lot was the only one um, who who could provide the way out, right? So there's um, some similarities there. I think there's another similarity, too. They both were spared, and maybe they were said that. No, Jane said that. They were saved. Um, and, And finally... How are you and I going to be like Noah and Lot? When our work is done, we too are going to be taken out of this world, which will eventually be destroyed, right? Um, Hopefully you and I also are. um, If we're surrounded by people who aren't paying attention, hopefully like Noah and Lot, you and I are paying attention. And and we're calling people to faith and we're, we're giving them warnings and we're saying, hey, the kingdom of God is here um, hopefully that we share that with them. Any other thoughts on that one? Ron and Joan say, do we know that Lot shared his faith? That is a good question. Um, so I think I'd have to go back to the Heroes of Faith chapter in Hebrews, which I can do in a minute. Um I kind of thought he was listed there, but I could be wrong. Uh, I may I might be wrong on that. Um, I, I don't want to take the time to do it right now, but I um, let me get back to you on lot. I know we talked about that way back when, and I I think we came down on the point of saying um, that he had that he had shared his faith. But let me get back. I don't have the verse in my mind. Um, so let me get back to you on that one. That's a really good question. Good question. Um, I I mean, I have down here that they both witnessed to the truth. Um, but I, I don't necessarily have a verse off the top of my head to give you. That's a good summary statement there, Jane. We will be saved in the midst of the chaos and the destruction which others Will not expect, right? And you look around our world today, I I think there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of people not expecting what is coming. Um, And we're going to be saved, but let's hopefully be be telling others as the end gets close. Um, Then number seven, what will the last day be like? I think this is interesting too. What will the last day be like? What's Jesus' ultimate point here about the last day? What's Jesus' ultimate point here when he says these words? What is he trying to teach you about the last day? Finally, isn't he saying... And maybe I should give you another minute here. Um, so Melissa says it'll be instantly. Yep, that is true. And Linda's got the other point here. It, it's going to just be an ordinary day, right? It um, It's going to be an ordinary day until it comes. The last day is going to be like every other day. Um, maybe you remember when Y2K was coming, right? And everybody thought that's going to be the end. It's going to be the end. Jesus says, no, it's going to be just like any other day. It's going to be a normal day. People are going to get up. They're going to go to work. Um, they're going to be maybe going to the doctor's appointment. They're going to be taking their kids to school and it'll be the end. Right? It's, it's not going to be any different of a day when the Lord comes until he comes, of course. Right. And then everything changes. But it's, it's going to be just like it always has been in this world. All right. Um, so it'll be like any other day. Uh, people are going to be doing what they always do. Um, and I think that's the point too. Um, people always feel like they got more time. And maybe they do. But I guarantee people are going to be, on the last day, people are going to wake up thinking they got lots more time. And they don't. It's going to be right there. Um Melissa says, what does that last verse mean? I, I anticipated that. Let me just grab my, uh, um, I, had, I had done a little looking on there. Um, so if you look at that last verse, verse 37, they said, where, Lord? And he replied, where there is a dead body, the vultures will gather. Um, anybody have a thought on that before I jump in on it? What is, Melissa's got a good question there. What does that last verse mean? It is an idiom. Um, what's he saying? Anybody got a thought to that before I, before I give you mine? So it's a proverb, an idiom. It's just a, an illustration. And what's Jesus' point with that? So when he says where there's a dead body, the vultures will, get, will gather. Um, the vultures are a sign of so, that something is dead, right? And Jesus is just saying like these are the these are the signs. These are the things to look for. Um, you can know there's a dead thing when you see the vultures gathered overhead. Um, so these signs that Jesus is talking about. Um, are signs that the end is is near. Does that make sense? Does that help, Melissa? Um, all right. Anybody else? So again, Jesus is just saying um, these are signs of the end. Anybody else on chapter 17? And and Linda, so, I mean, nobody's going to notice until the end. So, Melissa says, sort of, is it like where you see these things happen is where they happen? But it seems like, where'd they explain it that way? Um, I'm just trying to think of how else I could say it, too. Um So the vultures are a sign that there's a a dead body that's nearby, right? Um, And I think when Jesus is saying um, people are eating and drinking and buying and selling, all this stuff is happening that should be a sign to us that the end is near. Um, All the people going through their routines like normal, not paying attention, that's like the vultures, Does that help? Does that confuse it even more? Um, Point for you and me, let's not just be robots going through this life. Let's be aware, hey, the end is near, right? Khan's kingdom is near. Um, Let's be, be ready. All right, let's go to Luke 18. Let's go to Luke 18. Anybody else have a thought or a question on 17? Anybody else have a thought or a question on 17? I'm just getting my Bible updated on the screen here. Saran and Jones say, the coming will be obvious when he's here, yes. Um, If if I wake up at 8 a.m. and he comes at 9, from 8 to 9, it's going to be just like a normal day, right? But as soon as he comes... Yes, everybody's going to know exactly what that is. It's going to be obvious to everybody. All right. Yeah, listen. I don't. I don't know how else to describe it. And maybe. I, maybe that means I don't understand it well enough. If I can't explain it either, um, um, I'll do a little more thinking on that, and maybe can come up with a different way to to phrase it for next time. Let's jump into 18 here um, in the time we have left. So Jesus teaches a parable of the persistent widow. Um, what is Jesus teaching us about prayer through this, through this parable? Um, the, the parable of the unjust judge or the persistent widow. What is Jesus teaching you about prayer? What's your takeaway? Yeah, Melissa, it's tough. I even think for the prophets who wrote it, I think it was tough because they didn't um, – It was. it's in the future, right? So much of it, um, it, it, they didn't know the when and the why or the where, right? They just – they knew things were coming. They didn't always know the details either. So Jane says here for question one, be persistent in prayer. I think that is definitely a lesson. Um, I think verse one, Jesus tells you what his point is, Right? He says it point blank. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up, right? So he tells you right there that what his point is. Um be consistent, be persistent, um, be constant. Ron and Jones say persistence pays off. Even that unjust judge will do the right thing, right? Just to get you off his back. But and God certainly is loving and compassionate. Um, so if the unjust judge is going to um, give you an answer, certainly God will. <coughs> Excuse me. Melissa says, persistent. yeah, same thing, right? Even somebody who doesn't care is eventually going to give in. Yeah, perfect. Yep, you're all on top of it there. Even that evil judge, he's going to become annoyed, right? And he's going to do the the right thing. Um, all right. Uh, what sin is Jesus condemning? So going on to the next parable here, parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, verse chapter 18, 9 to 14. Uh, what sin or sins is Jesus condemning there in that parable? What sin or sins is he condemning? Ryan and Joan mentioned pride. Yep. Um, Arrogance. Um, I think another way to say that would be self-righteousness, feeling like there it is. Linda's got it. Um, Certainly boasting. Yep. I'd agree with everything you got there. Everybody has. Um, But self-righteousness, that idea that you're good enough for God on your own, the idea that you can save yourself, the idea that you're you're. Pretty good guy, right? And 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 you're going to be just fine when it comes to, to getting into heaven. Um, that's what what Jesus is condemning there, um, that sinful pride that that feels that way. Anybody know what what service of the year we have that reading every year? We talked about the ten lepers on Thanksgiving. When do we hear the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? Same service every single year. Anybody know? Anybody know? Going once, going twice. Every year on Ash Wednesday, we hear the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector um, fitting for that day, I think. Um, Yeah, it's pretty crazy, isn't it, Marlene? All right, uh, then... Uh, Jesus changes gears, uh, 15 through 17. Um, we read these. Uh, we just read these last Wednesday night when we had a baptism in our service. Um, always fun. I always love having baptisms. Uh, just so neat to see the, like, the way that God so freely gives his grace to his people um, and makes them his people. Uh, 15 through 17. Um, what is Jesus teaching us here about faith? When he speaks about little children, and I think I think there's more than one takeaway here. So when you think about kids, uh, you talk about little ones, talk about faith. What is Jesus teaching here uh, with these verses? What what what's your takeaway? Uh, again, I think there's more than one. What is faith? according to these verses. So Jane says to have unquestioning faith, um, like a child. I think, yeah, I would agree with that. And I think um, not only is that faith unquestioning, they really are are believing without even thinking about it, right? They're just, um, they're not second guessing it here. Um, Joel says, young children are very trusting. Uh, Ryan and John believing it without questioning it. Melissa says, God's kingdom is for all. I think that's a good takeaway, right? Kingdom, all nations, right? God says, go and make disciples of all nations. That certainly brings uh, children into it as well. Marlene talks about a dependence on God. If you look at verse 15, um, bringing babies to Jesus. And Jesus, um, he says, keep it up, right? Bring them to me. Um, and then the way he talks in verse 17 tells us that they can have faith. Children can ha- can believe. Um, this tells us too, baptism is more than just a thing we do, right? It is a means of grace. It is a way that God gives faith and, and wonderful blessings to to everybody, but especially infants and little children. Um, I think also maybe a point to make here, based on these verses, can you say that faith is not a logical conclusion that somebody makes? Based on these verses, can you say that faith is not a logical conclusion that somebody makes? Anybody have a thought there? Marlene says yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, it Joel does too, right? It's it's just trust, right? It's it's trusting in God. It's trusting in Jesus. Um, nowhere in here is anything connected to an angel of discernment. Um, a decision that is made, a logical conclusion that is drawn. Nowhere in here does Jesus say, uh, wait till they're old enough when they can make their own decisions." He doesn't say that, right? Bring them to me. In fact, if you don't believe like they do, you're in trouble, right? So, um, this idea of of making children wait—it's um, just, just not not doesn't make sense. Yeah, Linda, I've heard several people say that episode of The Chosen is their favorite one, uh, Jesus with the little children. Um, Yeah, certainly there's some artist's license there, I think. But I I also would say it rings true uh, to watch the way he interacts with those kids. Um, Yeah, I think if you want to see the heart of Jesus for little children, that's a good episode to watch. All right, uh, let's see. Number four. So moving on, rich in the kingdom of God. Starting at verse eighteen, I figured Joanne would have the, the episode ready to. So episode three, she says, uh, season one. Jane says, "Is this comforting for children? Are killed in these shootings that they could have faith?" Um, absolutely. I mean, the Bible very clear on that one that these little ones can have faith. Um I would just encourage anybody walk into that three-year-old preschool room for devotion time. They clearly have faith. I mean, there's there's no um no doubt about that at all. So yeah, there's a lot of verses, Jane, that I think we would point to here to talk about uh the faith of children, but this is definitely a, a strong one or a main one. All right, the rich. In the kingdom of God. Um, So a a ruler comes to Jesus, verse 18. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is a wrong question, right? That is missing the point here. Um, So number four, why do you think Jesus' first response No one is good except God alone. Why was that necessary for the young man to hear? Why is that necessary? The way Jesus responds there. He says, no one is good except God alone. And then he goes on to talk about the commandments. But why why did the young man need to hear that? Joel says the young man thought he was good enough to earn heaven. Yeah. Um, Melissa says he's struggling with self-righteousness. I don't even know if he's struggling. Um he definitely, he definitely, yeah, oh, that's probably fair to say it that way. Um, Melissa. Um, it's definitely got a hold on him, right? Yeah, and, and he's seeking to be validated for how good he is. And Jesus, um he he doesn't shy in teaching the law, right? He doesn't shy away from uh, p- prodding people's hearts with the law of God. Um, so this man needs to hear. Um, the only one he's got to worry about here is is God and God's opinion. And nobody, nobody's good enough before God, right? Jane said, I like the way he said that there, to bring him down a notch, and to tell him he's a sinner. Excuse me one second. I got to grab my other sheet of questions here. Um, okay. Sorry about that. Uh, Joel says that Jesus was already pointing to himself as God and Savior. Yeah. So Jesus goes on here and he starts talking about the commandments with this guy. Um Which commandment, though, is the rich young ruler really having problems with? You think about what he's struggling with, what's going through his mind. Question five says, which commandment was the rich young ruler really having problems with? You're absolutely right, Ron and Joan. I don't know that the guy saw it that way, right? And Jesus um, had another point to make at the moment. But um, yeah, I think the man viewed him as just a rabbi, right? Um, So which commandment here is the rich young ruler having problems with? And Melissa and Jane both are hitting on it here. This is first commandment stuff, right? he's putting other things before God if you look at verse 22 Jesus hits right at that Jesus in verse 22 he shines the light on the idol in the man's heart and it is his wealth um, and this is masterful storytelling too because um, and I don't the way he tells it is masterful because we don't know what happened. Did he come back? Did he not? You're left to ponder that, um, which then makes us hopefully ponder in our own hearts. Do we struggle with these same things? Um, So this is a first commandment issue here. He's got other gods that he's struggling with. And then Jesus, he he takes the opportunity to teach to other people who are there. Um, Number six, what commentary... Does Jesus offer on our ability to love God more than money? Um, and the disciple, the people standing around, they're like, Oh man, uh, who can be saved here, right? What, what is Jesus' commentary on our ability to love God more than money? And, and and Jesus said this well before the capitalistic society that we live in, perhaps the wealthiest. In, in history, perhaps. Although there's been some wealthy societies. Melissa says money is a very big temptation. Um, so Jesus definitely is, is I think, even um, trying to describe it's bigger than we realize. Uh, hi, Peggy. Good evening. Um yeah, and, and because of that, April 15th is not a fun day for us, right? We, uh, we don't want to part with our, our money or our wealth. Um, other thoughts here? What commentary is Jesus offering on our ability to love God more than money? It kind of sounds like he's saying it's impossible, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, At least that's the takeaway the people around him get, right? Who can be saved? Yeah, that, that illustration, Jane, the, use, the camel through the needle, I, not happening, right? And, and um, Jesus very bluntly says, this is going to be an issue for a lot of people. In fact, it's really impossible for us on our own to do this. Jesus says, though, verse 27, um, it's possible with God. As Joel said here, we need forgiveness for this sin too. Yep, we need to pray for his help. We need to pray for generous hearts. We need to pray against the sin of greed. And then we need to ask God's help because um, we can't, we're not getting in without him, right? We we need his, we need him. All right. All right. Peter says, Leave it to Peter, right? Um, We have all left all we had to follow you. So Peter says, hey, that's got to count for something, right? Um, And what does Jesus promise then to those who do sacrifice for the kingdom of God? What does Jesus promise? Joel says, the rich young man and we all need to solely rely on God's great exchange, not our good works. Absolutely. Um, Can't buy your way into heaven. Can't work your way into heaven. Um, Can only get there because of Jesus. Number seven here. What does Jesus promise to those who sacrifice for the kingdom of God? So maybe you're thinking like Peter Lord, I've given up an awful lot for you, right? I've given up my time and my talents and my treasures. I've missed out on things to follow you, Jesus. What does Jesus say? Melissa says there will be reward in heaven. Yep. Um, He says there, in fact, uh, many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. So God promises he'll, he'll bless us here. And for sure going to bless us there, right? He's going to take care of us. um, And what he gives us is going to far outweigh whatever we give up for him. And of course, that's not why we are doing it either, right? But um, that is a comfort and a promise from God. And it sounds like Ron and Joan are quoting Matthew 6. Put God first and you will receive much, much more. All right, then uh, as the chapter closes out here, Jesus, again, will predict his death. It's it's happening more frequently now. Um, and then at the end, we get to the blind beggar receiving his sight. Um, what do you learn from the blind beggar here? So Jesus is coming close to Jericho, which means he's getting closer to Jerusalem, Um There's a blind man. He hears it's Jesus. He calls out to him. And notice he confesses there, Jesus, son of David. He sees him as the Savior. Uh, Have mercy on me. Um, what, uh, What do you learn here from the beggar? So Melissa says he's got his priorities in order, right? He is asking for mercy first. Um, interesting. Yeah. Um, in a sense, kind of leaving it up to Jesus, how he would have that mercy, right? Um, blind man knew who Jesus was. There's faith there. All right. And Joan say, Jesus hears those who call on him. Um, even how many people would notice the blind guy? Um, but Jesus did. Um, I, I think, there you go, Melissa. That's the other thing. He didn't let others silence his faith. Um, in this, in spite of people telling him to be quiet, he still confessed his faith. He still called out to Jesus. He still asked for help from his, his Savior. And again, persistence, as Jane says, does pop up here too. Um, we see again and again that pays off. Um, so keep on praying. Keep on praying. All right. That concludes 17 and 18. Um, really good to be with you guys again. I don't know if that felt rusty to any of you. Uh, it's been a while since we have done this. Um, but it felt good to be back. I was looking for feedback too. If, um, if anything can be improved on my end here, um, let me know. Um, presentation wise, camera, whatever, lights, sound, um, Good to be back, though. I agree. Glad to be with you tonight. So next week, uh, next worksheet, I think is 19 to 20 for Luke. Uh, So we'll do that. Um, We've probably got three more weeks on Luke, I think. And then we'll be probably the end of July. So we'll be looking to switch gears to something else. So start thinking about what's next, but we'll take the next three weeks, finish out Luke. Thanks for being with us live tonight. If you're watching this after the fact, we're glad that you're able to, to watch and get something out of this too. Um, all right. Uh, done a couple minutes early tonight, but I um, think I'm going to let you go. And uh, we'll see all you guys hopefully next Tuesday. God bless. Have a Enjoy the, the beautiful night out there. Thanks, Joel. Um, yeah, and yeah, if you guys get a chance, peek at the gym. You can't walk on it yet, but it's starting to shape up and look pretty good in there. Um, so check it out if you can. Me too, Joanne. Me too. You guys, I think um, I get – I know I get a lot of encouragement out of this. I hope you guys do too. You're welcome, Marge and everybody else. And uh, God bless you and have a good night. Um, so you're right here. So that that's not a Luther bobblehead. Um, that's just a friar that, uh, one of the ladies I visit, um, gave that to me on a visit. It was in her cabinet and she thought I ought to have that given my, uh, my line of work. So, um, I do not have a Luther bobblehead. I I'm sure they're out there. I don't know that I've ever seen one, but that is, that is not a, a bobblehead looks kind of like one though. All right. God bless everybody. Have a good night. We will see you see you next week.